Hey, good morning, Gretna. It's Pastor Rob. It's great to see you today. I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the term productive procrastination? I know, I know. Seems like an oxymoron, right? We know, we know what unproductive procrastination is, right? That's, that's choosing to do something totally without value to avoid doing something you absolutely should be doing that deep down inside you know you should be doing, right? Uh, we might av- avoid having a tough conversation with somebody by you know, watching a video on YouTube, right? Or dealing with an issue we need to deal with, fixing the car. Uh, we might, uh, I can watch Facebook for a minute. And we just literally try to avoid the issue completely. We're procrastinating, putting it off. We don't want to deal with it. And so we find something that just honestly just kills time right? And then we say things, crazy things like, I just, I didn't have time to get this job done that I needed to get done. I didn't have time to get the car fixed. I didn't have time to, when deep down inside, we know that's not true. That's not true. We chose to do something else with our time to avoid it. But productive procrastination is a is different and yet the same. It's still procrastination. It's putting off something that you need to get done. But but it's it's one of the things that our brain does to really kind of make it make sense that we're avoiding a certain task. Let me give you an example. Maybe maybe you're a student and you need to get a paper in, right? You have you have two days left to get this paper all done. And so you start to you're like ah, I can do it. I, I, and, and you start to tell yourself I've got time. I'll get to it in a minute. You know what? And and I do my best work under pressure. <laughs> I had a professor once say to me, he's like, nobody does their best work under pressure. They do something under pressure to get the job done, but rarely is it their absolute best work. It's simply good enough to get by. But maybe instead of instead of doing the paper two days ahead of time, procrastinating, we convince ourselves by you know, checking or catching up on emails or shooting out some texts to people that we've been meaning to call for a time. Uh, we do that and we say, I've been productive today. I've, I've accomplished some things today. And that's the truth. Those are things that need to be done and things that we can accomplish. Certainly is on a different level than, than staring at YouTube, right? Or, or reading a novel that, that has been sitting on your on your nightstand for weeks and you finally just go, instead of doing the laundry today, I'm going to read the novel, right? That's that's not very productive, but we can convince ourselves with things that that are productive in some way, shape, or form, right? Maybe maybe you, you need to exercise. You know you need to exercise, but instead of exercising, you go, you know what? I don't really want to go to the gym right now. I'll I'll clean my house. That's got to get done. I have to get that done first before I go exercise. That's probably at the end of the day. There's probably room for both. We're just making a decision to do one over the other. This this kind of productive procrastination is the act of being busy, being busy doing stuff that matters while still avoiding our most valuable tasks, the things that really need to get done and honestly in some ways deserve or require greater care and greater investment than we want to give them. And as we're going through this series, we're ending a series today called Why Am I Here? Our approach has been to first define the reason we're here. And and, and at the end of the day, God created us on purpose 
for his purposes. We find our ultimate purpose in life, that that thing that we're all trying to get to and gather and understand that theory after theory has been written over time. Philosopher after philosopher has pondered, you know, what is the meaning of life? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says it's 42 <laughs> is the meaning of life. The idea being that it's it's arbitrary, but it's not. And we've kind of approached this as understanding or taking as a given in some ways that the purpose, the base purpose of our life, the meaning for us to be here is to be is to embrace the purpose that God has for us. And without that, we get into trouble. And so the focus of this series has been on on learning to embrace, discover and embrace that purpose, that purpose that comes inborn with us, that sense of meaning that God has given us from the very beginning because he breathed life into us for his purposes. And so the first week we kind of, or the second week, we kind of talked about learning to trust God, understanding that that we proclaim a trust of him, we trust him with our eternity, but our eternity starts now. So why do we have so much trouble trusting him in the here and the now when in reality we should? And then last week we trusted, we talked about trusting and, and learning to honor God in our daily activities, recognizing that it was, we looked at the life of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6 through 9, and recognizing that it's not really about big grand gestures so much as it is about day-to-day choices that, that can lead us either toward our purpose in, in the Lord or away from that purpose in the Lord. And sometimes we kind of convince ourselves that as Solomon did, that by making these grand gestures of faith, or at least what we perceive to be kind of that grand gesture. You know, I give up my Sunday morning to go to church, or I tithe every week, or um, I read my Bible religiously 15 minutes a day, every day, and saying that's my grand gesture, that's my contribution to my faith. And the idea that the rest of my life is mine, right? That's That's the same trap that Solomon fell into and that we can fall into. This week, we're going to finish up the book of Ecclesiastes, and and I've been encouraging all along to read Ecclesiastes as we go through this, because it's it's really the work of King Solomon kind of reflecting back on his life and asking himself honest questions. What did he do with his time? What did he do with the wisdom that was granted to him by God? What did he do in pursuit of meaning, in pursuit of purpose? What areas did he explore only to cycle back around to the idea that purpose only comes from God? We're going to finish up his book. It's it's, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where Solomon is really writing down his final thoughts, right? He's, he's, he sees in his very near future the end of his, his physical life here on earth and the, the end of his impact, right? The end of his reach, the end of his, his opportunity to fulfill his purpose, to find that greater meaning and to make a difference. And he has his final bits of wisdom. And can I just tell you up front that... Solomon extols something that stands in total opposition to procrastination, particularly when it comes to our pursuit of God and living out our faith, right? And that's, that's to find our purpose by learning to live with a sense of urgency, 
learning to live with a sense of urgency in our pursuit of him, recognizing that there really isn't a productive procrastination that is valid when it comes to avoiding our pursuit of God, setting aside him for those other things. And so we're going to explore that. We're going to explore this. We're going to pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1. We're going to read 1 through 14 today. So we're going to do some digging. So read with me. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. It begins here. It says, So remember your Creator in the days of your youth. So his challenge starts out really simple. He's going back in his end days and saying, Hey, I'm giving you my life advice. And, And this could come to you in any stage of your life, right? He's talking to young people here. He says, Before the days of adversity come and the years approach, when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, the women who grind grain cease because they are few and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. That's... The picture he's drawing here is before you grow old, right? The idea of the light and the darkness um, and the moon and the stars dim. I don't know about you, but when I turned 40, (laughs) I went to the eye doctor and I said to the eye doctor, I'm going blind. I'm absolutely going blind. I can't see. And he said, no, no, no. You just have this thing. It's, It's just, it's, it's, I have to tell you, it's a condition it's called presbytopia. And I said, Presby, Presby. He goes, yeah, old man eyes. <laughs> Your eyes are getting older and you're no longer able to process the, the, the extremities, the extremes that, that your light, your eyes could process before. Um, your muscles are getting weaker around your eyes. And I said, is there, there an exercise I can do for that? And he said, no, <laughs> there's nothing you can do for that here. Here are some glasses, <laughs> which... I didn't wear at all until I was 40. But, th- but that's, that's something we realize as we grow older, right? That, that our eyes start to go. And as he continues to go through here, he talks about how those who were once the protectors, the stronger of us, are now, in some ways, those who need to be protected. That's, that's a reality of life. That's a change, right? We get, we get physically weaker as we get older. Hopefully we learn a little more along the way and we learn to work smarter, not harder, but that, that's a reality of life. Let's pick it up in verse four. It says, the doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. When one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper loses its spring, and the caperberry has no effect, for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home, and mourners will walk around in the street. Again, we talked about the idea that, that Solomon ends up taking on the notion of something that we don't like to think about. We've talked about this in weeks previous. Death. None of us want to talk about what that means. None of us really want to face that inevitability. And in some ways, we procrastinate thinking about it because it's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's not something that we want to experience in some ways. Um, at least our mortal bodies do not. Our spirit really kind of should, but there's a, there's a fight in there that often occurs. And certainly it's something, if you've ever been around a funeral, it's not something we want others that we love to experience. Right? We don't want them to mourn. 
but it is a reality that, that Solomon is taking on here. And then he keeps going in verse six. He says, before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember, we shouldn't be concerned, but there's that struggle. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. This is how he started the book and how he's ending it too. But he also stops to talk about, at the end, what really, really matters as he's lamenting what is headed, what is inevitable for him, what he's, he's having to face. And, and, you know, my wife has a theory on, on how, how fast time goes when you're getting older. She says it goes at the speed of your age. Right, so if you picture a car going down the street, it's you know at six years old, it's kind of six miles an hour. It's not moving very fast. You feel like you got all the time in the world, and even at twenty, you feel like life is still kind of moving slow. Yeah, there are moments or events where it's flying by, but for the most part, you still feel like you've got all this time left. But the older you get, the faster life seems to go by, and the more you have in the rear view than you have to look forward to. Right. And so and so there's this notion that Solomon is in this place where he's 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 feeling a sense of urgency because he's moving fast. He's older and he's looking back and going the number of days he has left to make an impact is limited. It's changing. The truth is that's the case for all of us all the time. Uh, we are always moving closer to the end of our life than we are from the beginning to the beginning. And, and so it really is something, again, that we avoid considering that we probably should spend some time thinking through because I think it changes the way we look at life. And Solomon is going to line that out for us right now. He's in verses 9 through 14. That's kind of the core of our lesson today where we're going to kind of try to understand where, where Solomon was and what he's trying to teach. It says in verse 9, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods and, and those from masters of collections like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd, but beyond these, my son, be warned that there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Solomon is trying to give the people of God advice on cultivating this sense of urgency and understanding that there, our days are numbered. There's only a certain amount of time on this planet. And, and so our opportunity to live into the purpose God has for us, our opportunity to find that sense of meaning, whether we perceive it to be eternal or not, at least physically speaking, our physical reality is that it is temporary. Now, I, I don't know for sure what we'll be doing other than 
staying, standing in the glory of God after we pass on, right? Remember, the spirit returns to God. Even Solomon said that. It's hard to say. It's, it's wonderful to dream. Will we be talking with Jesus every day? Will we be talking with our friends? I sure hope so, right? Will we be um, helping one another still grow closer to the Lord? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because the scriptures, they give us some little bits and pieces here and there, but it's not uber clear. And, and there's a reason for that. I think it's it's because if it was, uh, we would probably try to manipulate it. It's human nature. But there's a sense of urgency here on this planet that we sometimes miss. We're, we're busy productively procrastinating, dealing with this reality of our life. We avoid it. And, and so we, we go through life doing all of these other things that we, we say are important, and in some levels they are, but at the truth is at the end of the day, my clean house is not nearly as important as my soul being cleansed of its sinfulness, Right? That my, my, my fixed car, though important in my world, is not nearly as important as sharing the gospel with somebody else or with cultivating relationships or being with people. At the end of the day, there are grander priorities that I try to avoid, though I should not. And so how do we begin to cultivate this sense of urgency? Because I have to tell you, it's hard but you can do it. And the truth is, we are called to do it. We are called to live in with urgency, recognizing that, that the message that we are blessed to be able to spread, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, is so critical, right? He says here, not talking about the gospel per se, but talking about the word of God per se, keeping fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. This message of understanding who our God is and why he is worth serving and how he gives us purpose. This is for everyone. And it is our call not to look away from that, but to live into it. So what what does he say here? How do we begin to cultivate the sense of urgency? Well, the first one is decide to make every day count. Decide to make every day count. He says in verse one, he says, so remember your creator in the days of your youth, right? Before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. He says, and George, George Bernard Shaw is, is credited with saying, youth is a wonderful thing. It is a shame. It has to be wasted on the young. And in, in some ways, yeah, if I had to look back at the, at the, the amount of time I spent not pursuing God, <laughs> and and if I could go back and make different decisions about what I, knowing what I know now, right? Wow, what different decisions I would make on so many levels. Anyone I've hurt over the years, I would have made different decisions on how to respond to them. Um, anything I'd, I've done, like, you know, wreck my mom and dad's cars. Hi, mom and dad. Um, I would obviously go back and undo <laughs> So I did not do those things. But but the truth is, you know, wrecking wrecking cars probably happened at least in part because, you know, I, I felt like I was invincible at 16. I felt like I had an eternity ahead of me and that this was nothing but a time to play and enjoy. And 
I would never tell you not to play and not to enjoy life. I think God delights when we delight in his creation. But to make that the focus of my life, you know, at 19 or 20, that's really what it was for me. At, at 49, it's really very secondary because I, I, I have found that the greater joy comes in pursuing him and then recognizing that the moments I have ahead of me are far fewer than the moments I had before. So it's a decision to get up every morning and say, today, Lord, I'm going to do something in your name. Use me for you, your purposes today, Lord. Find me an opportunity, and it is my job to step into that opportunity because that opportunity counts because I might not get it again. What else does he talk about? He, how else do we live into our, a sense of urgency in our faith? The first, then this one is this, is align our fears. It's in verse 13. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this is for all humanity. Proverbs 1.7 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is where our understanding of how the world works and what it's all about and why we are here and what the meaning of life is starts with our fear of the Lord. Because if if our fear of God is our greatest fear, and, and when I say fear, I don't always mean just a sense of respect. I think we kind of try to play that down sometimes. I think the truth is we have to remember that our God is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all things. He is the beginning and the end. He is all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, right? He can do anything and knows everything. And so when God says something matters, when God says this is a deal breaker, that should cause butterflies to pop in our stomach. It should cause us to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And the truth is, if we're aligning our fears properly, that fear, that healthy fear, because fear can be healthy, right? If you're standing on a ledge that has a, a thousand foot drop, right? You, it's a healthy fear of falling over the side, right? <laughs> that keeps you from jumping off. That's a healthy fear. And our fear of God is similar. We should have a fear of him and understanding that he holds literally all the cards in our eternity. We don't control that. He does. And he's made it clear that following his son, Jesus Christ, and walking as he wishes us to walk, right? Picking up our cross daily, setting aside those other fears is mission critical to being the people he's calling us to be. And it's one of the cards he's played that he's told us, you need to do this. But, but there are sometimes there are other fears that override our fear of God. And that's what I mean by not aligning our fears. We've got them out of order. Fear of embarrassment, right? Kyle Eidelman says it this way. He says, if you're most interested in what other people think, then their applause or attention is your reward, right? The idea that, that I'm more concerned about what other people might think of me. I'm fearful of their response to me. I'm getting a text. It's probably my wife. 
I shall turn it off and we will get back to this, right? Sorry, buzz. It's always the pastor that forgets to do that. So, <laughs> so he, the idea here is that if I'm more fearful of people's opinions of me, of being embarrassed or being thought ill of, then I am fearing God's call in my life and my fears are out of alignment. If I'm more afraid of failing than heeding God's call, then my fears are out of alignment. And notice I'm not saying make those fears disappear. The Holy Spirit, now Holy Spirit can make those fears disappear, yes. But I'm not saying it's required. And I'm not even saying it's always going to happen. But it's understanding that some fears are more important than others. What's next? So we've got decide that every day counts. Get up every morning and decide that every day counts. And then align your fears. Properly prioritize what we should be doing versus what we are doing. Prioritize what really drives us. And honestly, in some ways, understanding where our fate lies. The next one is this, accepting responsibility to keep his commands. Author and and focus on the family psychologist, John Townsend says this. He says, immaturity is demanding that reality adapt to you, adapts to you, and maturity is taking responsibility for who and what you are. Remember, he said in verse 13, to fear God and obey his commands. That's been a, a mantra throughout this particular book of the Bible, and honestly, is the call upon all of our lives if we claim to be followers of God is to understand that his commandments matter. That if he is asking us to do something, it is for a reason. And in some cases, well, in most cases, it's less asking and more telling, right? He's telling us we need to open our hearts to our enemies. He's telling us we need to forgive Not seven times, but seven times 70 times, right? He's telling us that we need to reach out to the poor. We need to reach out to those who are lost. We need to tell others who Jesus is. We need to make disciples. Those aren't requests. Those are expectations of what it means to be a follower of Christ in so many ways. And so if we have our fears aligned, right? And if we've decided to make every day count, and we've owned the notion that we are responsible for completing his commandments, for doing what he's asking us to do. It's not something that we can move to the back of our line and choose to pro, to productively procrastinate do from doing, right? Then we're beginning to take those steps towards the path that he has laid out and the path that he is commanding us to follow. The next one is this, is and it goes, it's hand in hand with fearing God. This is verse 14. It says, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And that's the point Solomon's trying to make here is we must anticipate evaluation. You know, the truth is the scriptures tell us that all of us will give an account for what we've done. And, and though, to kind of paraphrase Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, he says Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect, right? But he does expect us to be authentic. He expects, he expects us to acknowledge, number one, that we need him. 
And number two, truthfully, to do our best to follow him. We all start in different places. We all start in different worldviews. Our journeys are all going to look slightly different, but the command to follow him, knowing that he, he is the determiner of our fate, right? He is advocating for us. We are to abide in him, as John says, and, and he will abide in us. He will never walk away. But he also has some pretty harsh words for those who deny him. And there's more than one way to deny him. Yes, Peter physically denied him three times, saying, I do not know you. But in some respects, denying him means not living as he would ask us to live. Not owning the notion that we understand that he is our Savior, our Messiah, yes, but he's also our primary advocate before the seat of God. And it is our call to, to remember that's going to happen. Now, that's not a popular thing to say right now. Are you kidding me? I'm evaluated. Sounds like I'm being judged. Well, Scripture's pretty clear. We're going to get judged at some point. We're going to have to make an account, right? And yes, the grace of Christ covers us even in our mistakes, even in our sinfulness, even in our ongoing rebellion that we fight so hard against. Please don't make, don't read into this. I'm not trying to say this is easy. It's not easy, but it can be done. It can be done with the help of God and the help of Holy Spirit and recognizing that we are moving together on this journey, all from different places, all moving towards the Lord, knowing that he is the author of our faith that he is the perfecter of our faith, and that, yes, he will ultimately stand in judgment, not just of us, but of the world as a whole. We can't punt that, right? We can't say, I'm not going to take that part of what it means to follow Christ, or I'm not going to think about that part. That part matters. That part matters. And the final lesson for today in, in trying to oper learning to operate with that sense of urgency, if we haven't already figured out that, that having the proper motivation, right, remembering whose we are, remembering what's at stake, remembering what matters, the, the last one is this, is to, something that I think Christians right now really have trouble with, and it's to ponder less and do more. Ponder less and do more. It says in verse 12 of our text today, it says, but beyond these things, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the body. It's the idea that, that we can study God's word until we fall over. There's a, a story, a parable of a young man I'm reminded of. It says, and let me read it to you. It says, one day, a young man moved into a cave to study with a wise man, right? He went to sit at the feet of the wise man and learn, much as we sit at the feet of Jesus and we read, we read his word. We approach him. It says he hoped to learn everything there was to know. That's a, a wonderful thing. Sounds a lot like Solomon to me. <laughs> After giving his student a stack of books, the wise man sprinkled itching powder on his student's hands and left. Really? Every morning, the wise man returned to the cave to monitor his student's progress. Have you learned everything there is to know yet? The wise man asked. And every morning, the student said, no, I haven't. And then the wise man would sprinkle it more itching powder on the student's hands and leave. This was repeated for months. But one day, 
As the wise man entered the cave, the student took the bag of itching powder and he tossed it into the fire. And the wise man said, congratulations, you've graduated, you've learned, you don't have to know everything to do something. And you've learned how to take control over your life and stop the itching. Richard Evans says that the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. I really do believe that God has an intent for you. He has a desire for you and for me. And and we call that purpose. We call that meaning. But there's a time in our faith, maybe multiple times throughout our life journey, where we have to make a choice about whether or not our faith is merely a wonderful idea to us where we just kind of think about what it means or if it is really a new life, if we are really a new creation. And that means remembering who our God is and what he means and the power he wields, yes, And that means doing our best to keep his commandments, to obey him, to do what he's asking us to do. And really, at the end of the day, it also means to stop procrastinating and pretend like we're being productive. It means getting out there and being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, being the light in the dark world. To stop thinking about what it might look like. Start waiting, stop waiting until we think we have it all figured out and start doing something because the world needs it. This is for all humanity and we are both blessed and humbled to be the speaker of God's word, to be the preachers of his gospel and to be disciple makers throughout the world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and be gracious to you and give you peace. Blessings.